Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And uh, yeah, I'm back. How are you guys? How's everyone been? Welcome back. I missed you so much. Thank you so much. I missed you also, but I really enjoyed your episode with Zachary. Thank you. I wanted to tell you because I haven't spoken to you in like a month. Uh, I don't need to get my ankle surgery, so you're not going to get your own episode with a guest. It's Yay, always going to be the both of but us. So I can still get my episode with a guest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but let's save it for when I don't feel up to podcasting. Okay. For for special occasions. Actually, Words About Books keeps, like, stealing the things that we want to talk about before we talk about them, so it actually seems like we're copying them, but really, they're copying us, but they don't know they are. What did they do this time? So, like, we were going to talk about The Haunting of Hill House, and oh. they just talked about The Haunting of Hill House. Words About Book. Like, we like you a lot, eh? But, like... <laughs> Why are you stealing our notes? <laughs> They've actually like hacked into my Google Keep account probably. Yeah, are they the ones who keep sending us spam too while we're at yes, it? Yes, they're the ones who think our name is Derek <laughs> with Fucking an I. Derek. Derek. Anyway, we have our, our usual segment, you know, our usual segment that we do every time, um, Clean Language with Amy, where Amy gives us a cleaning tip. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I have one. Okay. Do you actually? I actually have one. So I guess it's a monthly thing now. Uh, it's fine. Every like two episodes or whatever. So I recently had a day off and I was like, okay, and my dog went to the dentist. So I was like, I'm going to clean the house, right? Like top to bottom. So I clean the floors, whatever. I'm going to have some chair upholstery tips for you guys in the coming weeks because I'm doing that soon. But I cleaned my kitchen and... When you cook with oils, whether that be animal or vegetable, vegetable, vegetal, vegetable, vegetable oil, which is vegetal oil. That is French. Is that's not a word in English? Oh, God. <laughs> no. Okay. So it's also words with Amy. <laughs> but so when you cook with a lot of oil, it does a lot of like oil residue on every surface of your kitchen including your range hood. Um, and my range hood was sticky from all the oil. And you might be wondering, okay, we'll just use like some Dawn dish soap or whatever to clean it off, right? False. It does not clean it off because it turns <laughs> into a goop. It turns into a goop? Yeah, like a sticky goop. Like, you know, uh, when you peel off a label? Yes. Like that. It doesn't go away. Okay. So what you do instead, and this sounds fucking counterintuitive, you use more oil and you remove it. This sounds it. really fake. I just feel like you're tricking people now. No, no, it's for real. Last time <laughs> you were like, take your washing machine apart and void your warranty. And now you're like, you have an oil stain? Put some more freaking oil on it. No, this only works for hard surfaces. So you put like a little bit of oil on like a paper towel or cloth or whatever, depending on your ecological tendencies. And you wipe it off, you know, with the, the thing. And then you then use Dawn dish soap to, to wipe off all the grease. So the oil degreases first and then Dawn keeps it decreased first the next two weeks. See, I feel like this does not happen with vegetable oils, like vegetable-based oils, because this has never happened to me where it like gets sticky like that. I man, I don't know. Never I has just, that happened to me ever. Like I can't explain it. It didn't used to happen, and then my boyfriend moved it. Are you cooking with like straight lard? Like I'm so no. confused about what you're cooking with. I have. I think it's just there's a lot of splatter because he doesn't always use the lid or the splatter guard. I think that's what's going on. But anyways, oil okay. for oil, and then Dawn. Uh, is how I clean and things. that was clean language. So this week, we're talking about a thing that we definitely both thought we had read. But now looking back on it, neither of us is entirely sure that we have read it. I know that I have read parts of it. Parts of it I have read. Is that what happened? I don't know. Because I was looking at it, I was like, I don't recognize so much of this. We're reading The Canterbury Tales by our boy, Geoffrey Chaucer, the father of English literature. Well, he's not our boy. We have some we have some problems with him. He's problematic. Okay, before we get to everything, there is a content warning in this episode for mentions of rape. He just talks about it a lot, and I apologize. We are not going to make jokes about that. No, so there were allegations that he raped someone, and apparently this tale may or may not be like his penance or whatever. It's strange. The times were bad. But we're going to talk about all the other stuff because I didn't remember that there was mention of rape in this story. There is. Firstly, I would like to give a kind of a bio situation. I didn't learn about that in my 
readings of him. But what I did learn about him is, okay, so basically the Canterbury Tales, it's probably the most famous work of English literature from the Middle English period, also known as the Medieval period, when they spoke Middle English just after the French had come and been like, we have swords and this is our country now. Um, so it was like not a totally Germanic language anymore. Yes, that's objectively what happened historically. I mean, I don't know why you're making that face. Sure. I just, I guess, <laughs> you know how, so like Shakespeare seems really close, right? Well, no, not to most people, but yeah, to us. To yeah. us. And like the Victorians feels like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the medieval times feels like it was like ages ago. It literally was ages ago. It was several ages ago. Yeah. And then you have like when never like William the Conqueror happened and the Anglo-Saxon thing happened. But like, as we all know, as the we classic know. Anglo-Saxon thing. For sure. But like that feels super far out, you know? But it's just like double the time of how far out Shakespeare is. This was about 300 years before Shakespeare. Yeah. which And we're about 400 years from Shakespeare, but the time frame yeah. seems so like separate. I mean, Shakespeare was a long time ago. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, but it does not feel like that. (laughs) So for a little context to situate this amongst the other things that we've read, this is one of the farthest back things that we've read, one of the two. So Geoffrey Chaucer was a contemporary of the Pearl Poet who wrote Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which we talked about twice for one of our Christmas episodes. And we don't know anything about the Pearl Poet. We don't know nothing about him, including his name, but we know a whole lot about Geoffrey Chaucer. For instance, he was a writer and a civil servant. He worked in the royal court. He's called the father of English poetry and English literature because he kind of popularized the use of English in literature as opposed to like Latin languages. But it's debated like how much he actually did that and how much he's just recognized for something that a bunch of people were doing. His bio I was reading and it seems normal. Like his childhood seems normal. And then it gets to like the part of his bio where they talk about his parents and it's like, yeah, so his dad was kidnapped because his aunt wanted to marry marry his dad off to his dad's cousin, who was 12 years old, um, to keep some property in the family. And I'm like, um, maybe not. Maybe not. Anyway, that didn't happen because uh, obviously his dad married his mom, who was not his cousin. We hope. He was in the social circle of the nobles. His dad was kind of like their sommelier, their like wine procurer. And then he became a noblewoman's apprentice when he was a teen. Chaucer did. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Chaucer. Um, Geoffrey. We call him Jeff. Geoffrey. Uh, he married the queen's lady-in-waiting, and then later his daughter became a duchess. So they're all kind of like... Hoity-toity? Yes. He traveled a lot. He came into contact with medieval Italian poetry on his travels, and it said that inspired his own writing. Also on his travels, he did some unknown tasks for the king. Unknown tasks for the king. One of which got him the reward of a gallon of wine per day for the rest of his life. That's like cash for life, but not really. I know, it's like wine for life. Actually, when that king, it was Edward III, when he died and then Richard II came into power, it did become cash for life. It got transferred to like a cash reward. So he went wine for life and then cash for life. Yeah, that's when like the terms and conditions changed. Yes. (laughs) He sounds like he was kind of an early poet laureate under Edward III and then maybe also under Richard II. Richard II, of course, as we all know, is the gay king. He was a member of parliament in Kent around the time he wrote this. So around the time he wrote this, he was like actually in power. Hmm. And he is the first poet to be buried in Poet's Corner in Westminster Abbey, or as it was known at the time, Corner. That's a good joke. Can you please laugh? That's a good joke. Yeah. (laughs) Are they all like stacked together in like a cornerstone type of thing? Or is it like a a chunk? The poets are the bricks. Yeah. Some background on this. Are you familiar with background on this? Uh, Like why why this came about? Like the... the Canterbury Tales? Yeah, how familiar are you with Canterbury and like Canterbury pilgrimages? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Okay, so (laughs) a little bit of background on why the characters in the Canterbury Tales are going to Canterbury. They are going on a pilgrimage. It was just like a thing people did. So today people go to that one Italian town to get that one 
pasta. In the medieval period, people would go to Canterbury. And they would visit the shrine of Thomas Beckett and they would pray to solve their problems. Thomas Beckett? Why is he familiar? I think you're thinking of Samuel Beckett. Thomas Beckett was an archbishop and a martyr. He was murdered by the Knights of Henry II at Canterbury Cathedral because basically he wanted the monarchy to give more rights to the Catholic Church. And this wasn't when they were tofuing with the Catholic Church. This is when no, England... No, you, it's a funny no, joke. No, do it's not, a funny you, you joke. You cannot bring yes. tofu into this podcast yes i can i can do what i want it's my edit (laughs) this week tofuing is not equivalent to beefing bringing home the tempeh anyway so this was when england was predominantly catholic but as we mentioned when we were talking about our green knight episode there was a lot of overlap with paganism still no i know thomas beckett because i i know how church works I studied oh, church stuff. Good. So I I was like, who the fuck is Samuel Beckett? And then I looked it up and I was like, I don't know him. And then you already talking about Thomas <laughs> Beckett and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, I knew Samuel Beckett and I definitely kept mixing them up. I was like, Chantel, take this note about Thomas Beckett and you have to write Thomas Beckett. And I wrote down Samuel Beckett. So that's why I thought it sounded familiar. Interesting. Um, Samuel Beckett wrote Waiting for Godot. He was just another writer. Very much later than this guy. Cool. Today, I would like to talk about three of the characters, but only two of their stories. So basically, we've got all these characters, and they're all going to Canterbury. I guess they're all going to pray to solve one of their problems, and then along the way to entertain themselves, they're telling each other stories. So we've got a prologue introducing them all, and then we've got some tales, but the manuscript is like hella old. It's like (laughs) 700 years old. So they're kind of mixed up. There's no complete manuscript. So there's like fragments and then they've put the fragments of like one to five sections each in the order that they think they go, but no one really knows. And there's a lot of tales. So there's the prologue that's introducing them. Then there's the knight's tale, the miller's tale, the reeve's tale, the cook's tale, the man of law's tale, the Wife of Bath's Tale, The Friar's Tale, The Summoner's Tale, The Clerk's Tale, The Merchant's Tale, The Squire's Tale, The Franklin's Tale, The Physician's Tale, The Pardoner's Tale, The Shipman's Tale, The Prioress's Tale, Sir Topas's Tale, The Tale of Millaby, The Monk's Tale, The Nun's Priest's Tale, The Second Nun's Tale, The Canon's Yeoman's Tale, The Manciple's Tale, and The Parson's Tale. So this is like love, actually. And they all weave together at the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except they, they just all weave together through because they're just traveling together. Yeah, it's like a ensemble cast. Yeah, it's like Love Actually. Valentine's Day. New Year's Eve. You know. The Canterbury Tales. You know the genre. The Canterbury Tales did it first. <laughs> yes, this is the OG, whatever those are called. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. And the ones that I want to talk about, because obviously we can't talk about all of them because that would be insane. In the membrane. I would like to talk about the Knight's Tale and I would like to talk about the Wife of Bath's Tale, but I would also like to talk about the Squire just as a person. Okay, can I jump in and tell you what I think we're going to be talking about and then you can tell me that you're going to go into it and it's okay. Yes. Because I want to see if I remember anything. Mm -hmm. So the wife of Bath Mm -hmm. has like this weird magic thing going on with her where she like looks young and then she looks old and then they figure out that she's old and then something else happens. I think that's not correct. When, what is that story then? I could not tell you. There's something similar to that in her tale that she tells, but she herself is not that. Okay, so do I just remember that part then? Perchance? Shall we just get to like the story and talk about it and you'll see? I remember where I was sitting when we talked about this in class. I don't I remember enjoy anything else. the face you're making about it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this smelling of poop. Yes, a classic. So, firstly, the knight. So the knight is speculated by critics to actually be based on Sir John Hawkwood, who is an English mercenary leader that Chaucer met while he was in Milan. Oh, he goes to Milan. He does, you know, he's a traveler. One critic thought that it would be obvious to the readers that the knight is actually a mercenary and that... All the descriptions of his virtue are ironic, um, but most critics read the description of his virtues as like legit, but he's a bad dude. I don't like him. So the host, I, I meant to look this up, but I didn't. So least reliable English podcast. The host, I think, is like kind of a tour leader, like he's leading the pilgrimage to Canterbury. He's like how the Sherpas take you up 
Mount Everest if you want to go up Mount Everest. Yeah, yeah. I think he's like the narrator also. And he he praises the knight as a renowned man. I actually think the host has a crush on the knight because he's like fawning over this guy a lot. I could read it as ironic. It's like a lot. He says, the knight has all the knightly virtues. As he does. Chivalry, truth, honor, freedom, which was does not mean freedom and actually means generosity because Middle English is different than modern English. And courtesy. He also has an impressive military career. But this is very problematic because the impressive military career is he fought in the Crusades. And by fought, I mean invaded in the Crusades. He's like a colonizer, basically. Bad times. Yeah, bad times. But yeah, despite that, he's somehow also meek and gentle. And the host is like, he's a very perfect, gentle knight. And that's why I think he has a crush on him. Because it's just like, he's always like simping for this knight dude. Oh, are we using simping now? I don't know. Is that a problematic word? No, I'm just wondering, like, are we hip enough to use it now? I think so. If it gets to us, is it no longer cool? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. I'm starting to think I'm not cool. I was really shook. We keep talking about words about books lately, but words about books said the kids are no longer saying on fleek and I'm kind of mad about it because I like did not learn it that long ago. (laughs) Are the kids still saying YOLO swag? Yes, definitely. The kids are definitely saying YOLO swag. Cool. You are super hip if you say that. Yeah, then we're fine. Yeah. The kids actually love skinny jeans and side parts and Yola swag. <laughs> it's definitely not chooky. What's chooky? I will explain it to you after. It's like the opposite of Yola swag. So it's not for Jesus. It's not hipping with it. I'm getting old. Anyway, back to the thing that we're talking about. Sorry. So his clothes are humble and worn and rusty because he just came back from an expedition. But as we know, an expedition is probably colonization. Um, That's a meme. I don't know from where. Also, the way that they say his clothes are humble is it says he was not gay. Like he wasn't happy? No, um, this was even before gay men happy. Gay men brightly colored. Which then led to happy, which then also led back to brightly colored. Full circle full circle uh so he he also we learned some things about him in the prologue where they do that description and then we learned some more things about him because he keeps kind of butting into other people's tales as they're telling them like me with you right now yeah like you with me right now and we learned he doesn't like sad stories like me because someone starts to tell a sad story he's like oh can you just tell a story of like a poor person rising in rank which is interesting because that's actually what chaucer's family did like they worked in wine barrel making or something and then they like owned a vineyard and then they were like the procurer of wine to the king and then they like were a nobleman Mm -hmm. through the generations not just one person was doing that started from the bottom now we're here (laughs) they did start from the bottom now we're here bottom of the barrel nice Oh, that was good. Thanks. That slapped. Okay. Yeah. And he also doesn't like conflict despite being an evil colonizer because he hears the host fighting with, um, I want to say like the priest or somebody. A monk of sorts. He's fighting with somebody. And, of um, religious ideology. I think so. And then the knight's like, can just everyone get along? And he makes them kiss, which is fun. People read this as high literature. He literally makes them kiss and make up. Okay. He sees them fighting and he's like, now kiss. <laughs> he's one of those. He ships it. He's he's the guy in Tangled who has a tiny little like horses and he goes, kiss, kiss. Yes. He's the guy in Tangled. So his tail, and I will tell you his tail, it is very long. He loves to talk. People say the wife of Bath loves to talk, but the knight loves to talk so much. So he tells the story of like a classical story of Theseus from ancient Athens. So Theseus was a conqueror and a ruler of Athens. Mm -hmm. And he decides to conquer the city of Thebes because these four women ask him to because the ruler of Thebes is like this mean dude who won't bury their husbands. Um, So he conquers Thebes. He gives the funeral rites to these four husbands and the women are all like, yay, now Thebes is conquered. But a whole bunch of other people die in the process. So that's actually not good, actually. While doing that, he imprisons as prisoners of war two cousins. 
names. Their names are Palamon and Arsity. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not going to look it up. So least reliable. While they're in prison for several years in a tower, while in prison, they both fall in love with Theseus's sister-in-law, his wife's sister, named Emily. Then, after that, their friend, who is a duke, gets Arsity freed. Doesn't get Palamon freed, which seems kind of like a douche move, but whatever. And Theseus agrees to free him as long as he doesn't come back to Athens. Arsity, now free, is jealous of Palamon, who is still imprisoned because Palamon can still creep on Emily from the tower window. That's gross. I know, right? How rude. And the knight kind of editorializes. He's like, hmm, I wonder who has it worse. Probably the guy in jail, knight. Probably that guy. Probably Emily, actually. Yeah, it is Emily. <laughs> it's going to be even more Emily by the end of this. Oh, God. So Arsity is now back in Thebes. He's wasting away. He is very depressed. He has a dream where Mercury, who's the messenger of the gods, tells him to go back to Athens. And he's like, hmm, you know what? I have wasted away and I am super gaunt now and I don't look like myself and I could go back to Athens in disguise. So that's what I shall do. So he goes back to Athens in disguise. He takes on the name Philistrate. That does not come up again. <laughs> and he becomes a page in Emily's house. Uh, very close to Theseus. Very dumb boy energy. I wish this was a video podcast. Um, so he's close to Emily, but not close enough. He's still mad about it. So he goes for a walk and he talks out loud as one does when they're on a walk. Did he have AirPods? For some reason, I have an inkling that he actually did not have AirPods. He probably had wired headphones just because it was ancient Greece, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So he goes on a walk and he talks about how on the one hand, he wants to go back to Thebes. But on the other hand, he also wants to be near Emily. So Palamon, who has just got out of jail today, he's been in jail for seven years and he just got out today. He hears Arsity and he's like, hey, what's up? I've been in jail. I think I deserve to be with Emily. Emily's not expressed any interest in either of these guys. I don't know why they're fighting over her. Anyway, they're arguing over her and Arsity challenges Palamon to a duel. On guard. And they do duel and they do it in this field where it's like the most obvious place ever because people keep walking into this duel and interrupting. So first Theseus comes up and he's like, can you guys like chill? Not. Yeah. He decides he's going to kill them. But then in a separate situation that's not related to Theseus walking in, the queen and Emily also both walk in and they ask him not to kill these two random guys that they've never seen before. And Theseus is like, okay, that's fair. I won't kill them. What I will do is I will host a tournament for Emily's hand in marriage. Like Emily did not agree to this. You know how I know Emily did not agree to this because she later prays to the goddess Diana that she wants to be a virgin for the rest of her life. She doesn't want to get married. I feel like we need to tell the English majors who clearly use our podcast as a way to study that we might not be the most reliable source right now because they're not going to want to read this by themselves. So Definitely. they're going to they're going to Google it and they're going to find us, we hope, listen to our podcast. And then <laughs> they will have our story about this and it may not be fully accurate. The internet's most reliable English lit podcast. I don't know where you're misreading our tagline. So Theseus builds a stadium for this tournament. Of course he does. And he builds three temples to various god and goddesses. So firstly, Palamon visits the temple of Venus, the goddess of love, and asks for his love to come to him, basically. So he gets a good sign that he will get his love. Arsity visits the temple for Mars, the god of war, and asks for victory in the tournament. And he gets a good sign that he will be victorious in the tournament. This, as you'll recall, is the tournament for Emily's hand. Mm -hmm. So something is probably going to happen that both of these guys are getting what they want. And it's not going to be Emily choosing Palamon because Emily visits the temple for Diana, the goddess of chastity, and asks to be a maiden all her life. And Diana's like, nah. She's the only one asking for what presumably the knight thinks she should be asking for. And Diana's the only one who's like, nah, you're not going to get it. Diana's useless as a deity. She's just like, you have to marry one of them. Diana's like, you are a woman you do not get a choice mm -hmm. she shows up the other two just get random signs diana actually shows up in the flesh 
Well, if you're going to tell someone they're not going to get it, you might as well show up. She doesn't break up with her over the phone. She like shows up in the person and she says, you have to marry one of these guys. And Emily's like, Ugh, fine. So they have the tournament. Arcity wins the tournament, as we all knew he was going to. And then there's an earthquake. He falls off his horse. He gets trampled to death by his horse. Um, before he dies, he talks to Emily and he's like, oh, if you want to remarry, please remember the knightly virtues of Palamon. I am worm food. <laughs> okay, that's a good last word, I guess. He doesn't say that. That's, oh. that's me. You're more clever than Chaucer. <laughs> I'm just quoting Glenn, quoting Shakespeare. Thank you, Glenn. See, I'm being nice to Glenn today. You are. That's a big change of pace. I'm getting older. Um, so yeah, so basically Emily and Palamon are both mourning Arsti for like so long, for like years and years. And Theseus is just finally like, I'm so annoyed with you guys. You guys need to stop. Emily, you're marrying Palamon. Kiss and make up. You're done. And it's basically like when Juliet's dad tried to marry her off to Paris to get her to stop being sad about her cousin dying. It's like that. But it, it obviously came before Romeo and Juliet. So it's happily ever after for Emily finally does like Palamon and the knight's tale is complete and everyone's happy. Wait, so this isn't even a story about the knight. This is a story that the knight says. No, no. Yeah, they're all telling like a fable, basically. They're all at the bar just swapping stories, which is why I remember the wife of Bath being about an old hag. Yes. Ah, yes. it's all coming together now. They're just shooting the shit. So some things about this story before we carry on. The temples that Theseus builds, he describes them forever. As you do. They kind of show decorations of like the bad side of each thing. So the Temple of Love is decorated with images of like yearning and lust and betrayal and stuff. Betrayal and like adultery. Very on brand for this week in celebrity news. Oh, geez. The Temple of War is decorated in like actual betrayal, like literal backstabbing and like getting burned by your own decisions and stuff. And then chastity is, it's, the symbols don't really show chastity. They show like change. So basically what it's saying is like Diana, the goddess of chastity, can't protect humans from the inevitable change of their lives. So I think it's kind of BS that like Emily's the only one who doesn't get her wish because she's the one who's like wanting what she's supposed to want according to this knight virtues thing. So I don't know if the moral is like everyone who wants a bad thing is going to get what they want, but in a bad way. But if you want what you're supposed to want, then you don't get it at all. It's like a weird, you don't know, what is, how does it go? It's like a monkey's paw situation. No, you know the song. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Yes, maybe, you know? Yeah. Or like maybe the morals just like women aren't allowed to get what they want and men are. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. Also, I think it's very ironic that the knight is like so judgmental of the temple of war because like he is a crusader, you know? Hmm. He's one of those people who's like so incongruous with like his actions and his beliefs. Right. And that's what I think of the knight. That makes sense. What did you think of the knight's tale? I thought it was cool in the sense that <laughs> it happened. I Did we read <laughs> the knight's tale? Because I don't remember this. I don't think we read it in class. I thought I read it in high school, but now looking back on it, now I think I might have just read the description of the knight in the prologue. Is it made into a movie? No, not to my knowledge. Okay, well, I thought a lot was happening over over like various seven year periods and I thought Emily deserved better because those guys were super creepy. Yeah. And also Theseus, is that his name? Yes. He sounds like a bitch. <laughs> yes, he is a bitch. I just, I and he had like such a major turnaround in his character. I don't know what happened, but like he also mourned Arcity when Arcity died. Like he was literally going to murder him. And then he built this tournament arena and then Arcity died after the tournament, which was designed to perhaps kill one of them. And then Theseus was like, oh, I'm so sad. It's like that weird collective grief that's not real, you know, like just. Yeah. Mm. I don't know how I feel about the nice tale. I don't know how I feel about the night. I know how I feel about the night. How do you feel about them? I don't like him. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> But yeah, I can move on to The Squire. I'm not going to say The Squire's Tale because I could not find somewhere to read it and I did not care about it. The Squire is the knight's apprentice and it sounds like he's his actual son, mostly due to the fact that it says he's his son, but I don't know if it's being like, that's just like a turn of phrase. <laughs> 
it's the night sun, but not actually. But, you know, probably actually, because that's what they say. I don't know if they were this just saying This is a poison for Cusco. That. The Cusco poison. Poison made especially for Cusco. The sun of the night. The sun's night. The sun made especially by the night. The night sun. The squire. Yeah. So, yeah, the squire. His description's, like, really interesting. So he gets praised for being a good squire. He's good at riding. He's good at jousting. He's good at carving the night's meat, uh, which is a weird thing to say. I don't know why they said that. It was just strange. But he's also very young and it kind of treats him like a man child. He's 20 years old and it says he's a lusty bachelor. That's what it says well, in the words. We know what carving meat is. No, specifically the Knight's Tale says he's not gay. Oh, well that's bummer. You remember? Yeah. Call? I recall. <laughs> it's still a bummer. I didn't realize they were the same. <laughs> no, I think he's his son, Amy. I know. Well, like, there could be two. There are two nuns. <laughs> okay. Um, We've reached the period of the evening where I'm just... There's not two squires. There's only one squire and he's the knight's son. <laughs> is the squire gay? Anyway, is the squire gay? I don't think so. I think he's very into lots of women. Maybe Lusty bi. bachelor. He's got kind of chaotic bi energy. Who doesn't? He, he does have qualities that would be considered more soft and like more effeminate. Because like he's, he's a squire. He's described like a meadow, like his clothes are embroidered like a meadow i think hmm, weird and he dances and he sings he writes poetry like an elf he's got lots of crushes like an, like an elf yeah um <laughs> you know like elves I guess. have like pretty clothing and they're they like the arts and they have pointy ears <laughs> sure like a historical elf vacation brain is on <laughs> his clothes sound very fashion he's got like a short little tunic and then he's got like those long like wide sleeves oh it's giving me elf yeah it is giving elf yeah it's giving like bohemian chick at coachella elf and the poem kind of seems to judge him for that like for being feminine and being youthful and it kind of pits him against the knight who's like more masculine and experienced and I think that we're supposed to like the knight better but I like the squire better. I like that he's like in touch with his emotions and he's like in touch with his artistic side and he's creative and he's not a colonizer who brutalized people from other countries and religions for no reason. Yeah he's just a dude who likes to do frilly things. Yeah I like him yeah. and honestly like everyone kind of gets pitted against the knight uh, because as I mentioned the narrator has a crush on the knight like for instance the um the monk comes up later and the monk has very like pretty and clean clothes which is contrasted to like the knight's humble and dirty clothes so meaning that the monk is not like legit the host has lumberjack fantasies yes the host has lumberjack fantasies okay I also think that if it were set now like the squire would be the type of man who would go to therapy and the knight would be the type of man to like silently judge him for going to therapy yeah like harry style could play the squire and it would be on brand yes even pointy ears you though. hit the nail on the head yeah exactly yeah or like if we don't want like a, a white man we can also uh go with uh little nas x that's totally fair i just liked him like as a character i like the squire i think we need more of the squire i think we should try to find his story okay moving on we have the wife of bath the wife of bath is the one you read i right? read okay so this is the first one that Amy has read. Yeah, so what I remember is, of course, there's a wife and she is of bath. She does not take baths. That's confusing. And yeah, she... I'm sure she takes some baths. Well, maybe. It's the medieval times. Not great. Um, And it's probably before it that. Also, I think, she, I think she's a witch. She's like she's not the lady in her tail yes yeah so the lady in her tail which is the very important part here the wife of bath herself and we don't i don't know much about her apparently she has a really long prologue though beside the point but i remember that there is a old woman who sleeps with young men and pretends not to be so old and then her last person that she sleeps with doesn't care that she's old um you're like sort of right why don't i just tell you what happened <laughs> good idea 
Put them out of their misery. So the wife of Bath is also a major traveler. So this trip to Canterbury is just like a small jaunt for her. She's worldly. But she's worldly in multiple ways because she's the only woman in the tale who has like experience with love and sex because she's been married multiple times. The other women are all women of the church. And she is a woman of the bedroom. (laughs) The world. (laughs) She's a woman of the world. She is wealthy. She is sensual, both in her mannerisms and her dress she wears wears like nice clothes she has red stockings uh which is fun yeah it's fun for her i like it i don't know if it meant the same thing as it does now also red was just like a hard dye to come by and it was very expensive because like red back then was only coming from like beetles that couldn't be sourced in england obviously and but it also might be like very sensual i interpret it that way and the opulence like, her mannerisms confirm my reading good good she's a seamstress uh which tracks because bath was a major cloth making town yep. i've been there you have that's where charlie mcdonald is yeah, from fun fact people also used to take pilgrimages to bath because of the baths it had like a natural spring which was supposed to be spiritually cleansing wasn't it just like a lot of sulfur and lead yes yeah <laughs> okay you are not allowed to go near it anymore traditional spirit well like you're allowed to go near it just not in it no more baths anyway it smells really weird smells like eggs it yeah um she is street smart she likes arguing with people which makes her very fun she also has common sense she doesn't have like book smart intellect but she has common sense she's world weary you know she don't go to no secondary location no i mean she does because she's literally going to one right now yeah but of her own volition which is then just the primary location yes yes so she's earned a living through her work and her husband's and that was really hard to do for a woman on her own especially outside of the church and she kind of wields her sexuality as a weapon so basically she like holds out on her husband's until they give her what she wants and what she wants is like money and power i like her i also like her (laughs) but content warning for the wife of bath's tale there's like lots of mentions of rape and in fact it's like two different major plot points so if you don't want to hear about that it's been really fun having you for this episode thank you for joining us uh so the wife of bath's tale she also talks about ancient times but not in um greece she talks about them right here in good old albion back in king arthur's time there were fairies and the fairies raped women and got them pregnant ah it's all coming together now which the wife of bath thinks is like fine and she complains about how now there's priests who rape women but they don't get them pregnant which is worse they only bring them shame i don't know why she says it not necessary to say she's just editorializing in like the worst ways what a lukewarm take that's like an ice cold take so like basically that's what the fairies did in arthur's time people weren't supposed to do it but people still did do it because that's our first plot point our first plot point is we've got a knight of the round table like one of the arthurian knights we don't know which one and he rapes a woman and he's sentenced to death for some reason the women of the court especially the queen who's not named but we know it's guinevere beg for his life is it lancelot i don't know maybe she advises arthur to give him one chance to spare his life and she's going to give the challenge and arthur of course concedes because it's the wife of bath's tale so her challenge is you can take one year sound familiar i rolled my eyes you knight of the round table can take one year you need to come back here in a year and tell me what women want most in the world or we will kill you and behead you very similar to sir going i've the green seen knight. this tree before <laughs> listen to our green knight episode it's pretty good so basically he takes the year he goes on his quest he wanders the land and he asks every woman what they want but they all have a different answer some say they want love some say they want happiness some say they want like pleasure um some say they want money some say they want freedom to do what they want etc 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 the wife of bath editorializes again in a very lukewarm take that some women say they want to be considered discreet and secretive 
But that's not true because women cannot keep a secret, she says. Because we're gossips. She goes off on a tangent about Ovid. But she, like, doesn't tell the end of the story. It's a tangent about, like, how this king had, like, a secret. I forget what the secret is, but it's, like, his hands are stones or something. It's, like, some weird thing. And he tells his wife, but he tells her not to tell anybody, but she can't keep it a secret. So she goes and whispers it to the lake, which kind of seems like still keeping the secret, but whatever. And then the wife of Bath is like, but I'm not going to tell you the end. You just have to read Ovid. And honestly, honestly, like, I kind of like that even though it's a lukewarm take i kind of like it because it seems to me like the most realistic dialogue <laughs> in basically any piece of literature we've read before shakespeare's era and in shakespeare's era can we get the wife of bath on the podcast yeah right she's like okay i'm gonna tell you like the gist of this story but like i don't want to give you spoilers so if you want to know it just read it you know just read the thing it's actually really good and you should read it so that's why i'm not giving you spoilers so just read it yes yeah, so anyways that's the end of our episode <laughs> so the night back to the night we do go back to the night eventually he's talked to all these women he doesn't have his answer he's heading toward home and he sees some women dancing naked in a circle as we should I think they're naked definitely witches uh as he approaches the women disappear and there's an old hag standing there yes and he tells her what's going on and she tells him that she will save him if he agrees to give himself to her and he says, of course, like, I don't want to get beheaded. So whatever. So they go back to the court together and she gives him her piece of advice, which is don't rape. Women want sovereignty over their husbands and lovers. Like women want to be free. Yeah, basically. But not free to do what they want, like free to like rule over their husbands and lovers. Right. Like women are taking care of the house. Listen to the woman in your yeah, life. Yeah, they want like... They want agency. They want to be in charge. All the women enthusiastically agree, yeah. including the queen. So yeah, so maybe Lancelot, the knight gets spared and the witch asks him to marry him and he's like, <sighs> and, he, and he's like really dramatic about it. And he asks for her to like take all his worldly possessions and she's like, no, I want to get married. And he very reluctantly agrees. Because he said he would. And he's got knightly virtues. It's almost like doing things that you don't want to consent to is not really fun. It's almost like that. Almost. So uh, here's content warning number two in this story for rape again. Because that's what this is. It's coerced consent. So they sleep together that night. He's miserable the whole time. And then the witch is like, why are you sad? Like, because probably because you're raping him. He's just like, because you're so ugly. And then she gives him a lecture about like how true beauty is on the inside and stuff. And then she gives him an option. She gives him the option that she can either be ugly and good and faithful, or she can be beautiful and unfaithful. I remember the story now. Do you remember what he decides? Uh, I think he preferred her to be beautiful but unfaithful he does the right decision oh ugly which is he says he trusts her judgment and just do whatever she wants <laughs> the rule book for all husbands happy wife happy life yeah and because he gave her the right answer she becomes both beautiful and good and they have a very happy marriage for the rest of their lives right so like very similar ending to the knight's tale very different route to get there like almost opposite yeah it all came together though in my head in the end when you told me mm -hmm. and then the wife of bath completes her tale by asking jesus for all women to get husbands who are young meek and fresh in bed and also to get the grace to outlive their husbands. The queen got what she needed. So the wife of Bath, her tale, obviously, very problematic. Lots of problematic stuff. Yes, but it was also like a very problematic time. Yeah, it was also like the 14th century. Yeah. So more leeway than if it wasn't the 14th century. I think she's hilarious. And even though the story is really messed up, I still think it's somehow better than the night story yeah because like it's not just like boohoo you're sad get together it's like he, he quote unquote lancelot learned something along the way yeah he was a bad person too he was a bad person like eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind like i'm not advocating for like people to rape rapists that's not what i'm saying but he did deserve a punishment he deserved a punishment a punishment and i don't think the wife of bath considered that 
a rape, even though it was. In our modern standards, but in their standards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think they knew what coerced consent was. No. I have an inkling. I don't think their sex education system was up to par. I don't think their education system was up to par. Yeah. They didn't even have a dictionary. That's not where I thought you were going with that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So he did learn something. And the women had agency in the story, which was really interesting. So like for the night, women are basically like a pawn to be one and what they want doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And they literally get told what you want doesn't matter. This is what's going to happen. And then in the Wife of Bath story, the women are like the holders of like basically the main character's happiness Mm -hmm. and they decide everything. That's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Also, the Knight's Tale is pretty chaste. Even though chastity is like the only goddess who doesn't give people what they want. Yeah. And it does end in a marriage. It's very chaste. The wife's tale is littered with X-rated scenes. Yeah. She just does not care. I mean, she also has like five husbands who are dead. Like she's a five-time widow. She's like, I don't know how that arsenic got in their system, officer. That's so (laughs) strange. Anyway, how much is left to me in their will? All of it? Oh, good. Like, how do you go through five husbands? Does she, has she gone through five husbands? Yeah. Is that the number? Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure. What a woman. What a woman. Now, like, she deserves to be the first billionaire, you know? No one deserves to be a billionaire. No, I know. But I mean, in her time, she probably was the equivalent of... She was rolling in it, yeah. yeah. So what'd you think of The Wife of Bath's Tale? Well, I've read it, and I remember when I read it that I was like, oh, cool, because it was like fun and clever and stuff. It was clever enough, and it's twist those twists of how it ended and i remembered the witch which was what matters yeah i just it was good i like it more than the knight's tale and not just because i read it before i think it's more fun and the story's less boring it is but i always like arthurian tales like that's the thing like i am drawn to them like a Mm -hmm. you know kid from the 90s usually is yeah as one does as one does merlin remains one of my favorite tv shows yeah i just i think like it's better like calling to the saints of the temples meh finding a bunch of witches in the woods cool really cool yeah it is better wait do we think the wife of bath is the old hag no <laughs> we do not that would be a great head canon though <laughs> we do not think that like imagine if she's like her five husbands are just her like getting old and then getting young and then getting old and then getting young <laughs> i just you know she's just been going through like generations of husbands yeah like the age of adeline or whatever i haven't seen the movie i'm guessing i can confidently say i do not think that <laughs> But I admire the creativity and interpretation. I'm very tired. (laughs) Some general notes about the Canterbury Tales. It's set in spring. Whenever nature comes up, there's like a lot of language about piercing and pricking going on. Like the drought is piercing the roots and like the bird song is pricking the air. And it's very phallic. Very. Uh, Which makes sense, I guess, because spring is traditionally like very sexual in literature. A time of birth. Yeah. Yeah. Like the time of conception specifically. But given everything else that is in this story, I kind of just think Chaucer's like a horn dog. Yeah. Like, do you not? Yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be highbrow literature. Honestly, like, I think it is, but like, that was kind of a different thing. Hmm. Like, yeah. they acknowledged that people were people. Like, nobles were people and they wanted entertainment and they wanted the same kind of entertainment that we would want. They weren't like, yeah. Oh, ho, 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 hoity toity, it has to all be like the Greek tragedies. <laughs> <laughs> they they weren't reading Ovid. They weren't reading Ovid. Although maybe they were because there's a reference to it. No, they have to keep reading it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, a lot of people think he's the father of English poetry or whatever, which is fine. I think he's just a dude who wrote a thing and because his family was powerful, it stayed in the literary canon. I think that's valid. I don't think that he was the only person doing this at the time and I personally don't think that the Canterbury Tales is strung together as neatly as Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which was written around the same time. Yeah. I have a question for you. I have a discussion question, if you will. Oh, God. Do you think that the poem is more sympathetic to the Wife of Bath or to the Knight? To our modern sensibilities, the Wife of Bath. To their not modern sensibilities, I think the Knight. Let me ex- Let me elaborate. Okay, go ahead. So we see the Wife of Bath 
as this independent woman who like made her way through having a bunch of husbands likes the fact that she's a strong woman she's independent she has interesting stories she knows what's up she's worldly we think she's the boss bitch yeah back then she was probably seen as like a shrew you know like a okay. like a can you define shrew for our listeners and also for me who kind of forgets what it is gosh okay i'm gonna try to say it okay so you've seen 10 things i hate about you mm-hmm. which is based on taming of the shrew ba- I am yes so it's like a really like outspoken woman who kind of speaks out of her turn okay and like who needs to be put in her place through marriage kind of thing got it so i think the readers if we go by how we remember women being treated especially in western society like just even like a couple 50 years ago like mm-hmm. a woman who's this outspoken and this self-made and you know doing her own shit like probably not great and like especially because she wasn't in the church you know like every other woman in the tales is a woman of the church because that was respectable yeah whereas the knight you know he's being described as chivalrous and virtuous and has all these like he went in the crusades that's honorable like kind of like how we we the collective we sees like people in the military like people would go up to the knight and be like thank you for your service here's a walmart discount yeah so i yeah i think like for me i see the knight and i'm like oh great crusades colonialism woo jk that sucks but i see the wife of bath and i'm like you go girl you know yeah good for her yeah i think that certain members of the readership would have been more sympathetic to the wife of bath i think she's there so that women can be like yeah she's awesome but i also kind of think she's there so that men can be like oh boy this is not what we want literacy is something that was reserved for a certain class of people Mm -hmm. especially men that's a good point like we don't have a lot of diaries from women throughout the ages until like you know the 1700s ish i guess yeah like literacy wasn't something that was given to a lot of people so counterpoint though Mm -hmm. literature in culture was also not just meant to be read it was meant to be shared so like the chances are this would have been like read aloud in a group of people that's true but yeah i obviously like the wife of bath better well yeah also it's the one they made us read yeah Which is fair. It is the best one out of the two that I've read. (laughs) Out of the 17. Out of the like 7,000. I do think the poem, at least the narrator of the poem is more sympathetic to the knight. And I also do think the poem is more sympathetic to the Mm -hmm. knight. Like the knight's on this pedestal and then everyone gets to stand next to the knight and they're like, are you almost as tall as the knight? Okay, you're almost as tall as the knight. Like the knight is Thor and then maybe there will be someone else who can almost lift up Thor's hammer, but probably not. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Canterbury Tales. It's aight. It's aight. It's written. It's a thing that is written and a thing that might have encouraged more people to write in English, which is good. (laughs) Enough. On a rating scale of getting beheaded for not knowing what women want to having a long, happy marriage with your good and beautiful wife, what would you rate this poem? Like The Wife of Bath or both? The whole poem. Oh, the Canterbury tales yeah the canterbury tales as a entity right probably being like one of the squire's lovers okay like it's not a 10 out of 10 but like it could be fun for a night you know okay like if we picture him as like harry style or Lil nas x i think like you know that sounds interesting yeah that's fair But like also i don't want to have to deal with the fame of it all so like yeah once then we're done cool i think i would rate it tricking my husbands into giving me money because mm. it's like relatively empowering compared to other literature of the time. That's fair. And I think that it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I do think that like there's a lot of problematic stuff with it. Yeah, I don't dislike it as much as I think I dislike Beowulf. And don't get me wrong. I acknowledge that it was written in the 14th century and that they did not have a conceptualization of the word problematic. I get it. But also like there are certain values and there are certain ways that we should treat each other as beings on this earth i think that the canterbury tales does not do that yeah it kind of misses the mark there yeah yeah it's a what not to do and not a what to do it's a cautionary tale yeah anyway that's all we have for you today thank you for joining us thank you for listening uh next time we see you i think it will be our two-year anniversary of being a podcast so that's pretty fun and it will also be near halloween time so maybe we might do something halloweeny and we'll see we'll have to see we don't really know what we're doing yet but it'll be something good and tasty and you can just manamanamanam it all up copyright 
Yeah. If you like this episode, we would really appreciate if you could like share it with people. Share with your colleagues. Send it to your work pals. Yeah. Share it with your colleagues. I'm sure they would love to hear it. And it's super work appropriate. My colleagues listen. Hi, guys. Hi. If you want to chat with us, you can do so at UnsightedPod on Twitter or Instagram. We love to hear from you. And uh, we haven't got any peer reviews, which means objectively everything we say is 100% accurate. So if you think that anything in here is not 100% accurate, you should send us a peer review. You'll make it into the next episode of the podcast. You can also, if you like this episode, give us a rating and review on Podchaser, Apple Podcast, and ratings on Spotify are also a thing now, so that's cool. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited unavailable. Amy, do you have any announcements? You know... Our big announcement. Do you want to share our big announcement? What's our big announcement, Chanta? Pranks. <laughs> no. <laughs> no pranks. Oh, yeah.